Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Lori. And we're the Sex Positive Christian Feminists. Hello, and welcome to another Tuesday morning with the Sex Positive Christian Feminists. How are you doing today, Rachel? I'm good. I'm rocking it out with my, like, holding my microphone because there wasn't a place to put it, so... (laughs) I was just telling Rachel before we started recording. I was like, you look like a pop star. It's perfect. Exactly. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, uh, yeah. I mean, nothing too crazy. I have my coffee, and so everything is okay right now. So it's good. Um, We Today we are going to be talking more about masculinity and femininity. Uh, specifically, we've been we've talked a little bit about gender essentialism. We've talked a little bit about the problems with complementarianism um, in the evangelical church, and you know the ways that that can mess up our understanding of gender. And also, also I think in in Catholic teaching as well, how how we put femininity and masculinity into the roles of women and men, and how that can cause problems. I wanted to talk a little bit more about that and what masculine and feminine energy is, what Rachel and I understand it to be, and how that influences us as feminists, and also for Rachel talking a little bit more about how that influences sex and sexuality, things around that. So yeah. So Rachel, what is femininity and what is masculinity for Ooh, you? Okay. So as soon as we thought about this topic, my like first gut instinct was to be like, well, it's sort of socially constructed, right? So like if we think about the traditional ideas of what it is to be feminine or what it is to be masculine, we are sort of just dichotomizing the universe, right? So, and, you know, obviously this isn't just in like Western culture. We also see this in traditional Chinese medicine with qi and with like yin and yang versus like those two things versus each other. And yin energy is more feminine energy. It's associated with the moon. There's more receptivity, that kind of thing. It's cyclical where there's like a death and rebirth cycle. And so it takes sort of in the same sense as the moon um, where there is something there of like waxing and waning. There's a growing and then there's a going back to the darkness and just sort of fluctuating in that space. Whereas masculine energy or yang energy in, in traditional Chinese medicine is more so, and Taoism, um, is more constant. It's related to the sun. It's related to mass, to maleness, um, and more of an outward energy, a giving energy, and action-oriented rather than sort of perception-oriented. And I think that when we look at it, it's, it's very clear that like we as human beings like to tell stories. That's part of how we are as humans. And one of the stories that we tell ourselves is that there's this, this, these opposites that have to be created in order to make sense of things. I mean, we look at this even in the story of Genesis with Garden of Eden, where it's like, what happens after Adam and Eve eat the fruit? It's this, they receive the knowledge of good and evil. They receive the knowledge of what it means to be separating things into opposites. And I think that concept of masculinity and femininity is one of those ways in which we as humans separate things into opposites. And whether or not that's a real thing that we need to perceive into and live into, or if it's something that's just completely made up, 
is up for each of us to figure out and to determine in any moment, like whether or not this is a construct that's being useful to us or if it's not being useful. Um, and that's kind of a little bit of what we're going to talk about. But Laurie, I'm curious, like, how would you define masculinity and femininity? It's interesting because I agree with you that I think a lot of parts of how we talk about this are within constructs. But I also think that we exist in a world of constructs. Podcasts are constructs. The internet is construct. Money is a construct. Um, all these things that we do constantly are constructs. And we do or we use these things in various different ways to, to help make sense of the world, kind of like you were talking about. And I think the problem comes when we understand masculinity and femininity in ways that are stagnant, which I think we talked a lot about in our podcast on gender essentialism. So go ahead and check that one out. When we make these things stagnant, that's when they can be really detrimental because then we're creating rules and dogmatism around this construct instead of creating liberation and freedom around these constructs. So yeah, I think most things that are liberatory are also constructed by human beings as well. Protests are constructs as well. So we have to be able to, to see constructs as a tool, not necessarily just always a bad thing. I think of masculinity and femininity, it, I look a lot back at the ways that it's historically been understood and how that's changed and evolved and then also what's been constant. So almost every single culture, um, when we go back to their indigenous beliefs, have masculine and feminine deities. They have the goddess of, the, the god of. And these two energies interact with each other in various different ways that cultivate creation and life and, and their ways of understanding the world. And like you talked about the moon and this waxing and waning energy and things moving around the moon. Well, one of the reasons the moon is oftentimes, very often, a goddess. And even if the dominant deity of most cultures is a male god of the moon, there is still a feminine sub-goddess or demi-goddess or something along those lines around the moon as well. Because often the women in those societies had a cycle that lined up with the moon because a woman's 28-day cycles, which used to be way more commonly 28 days, it's changed because of processed foods and technology. Yeah. So many different reasons why. And ladies, maybe we could bring on an expert about this, but you can. I have been synced up to the moon. You can do that again. But it is, it's a process and it's true, it's possible. But this relationship that women had with the moon, and, and by that I mean what we would call cis women today, had, a, or people with uteruses had today, um, with, they associated that with the moon. And so because of those, many of those cultures, because we didn't have necessarily the same concepts of gender that we have today, that was associated with the feminine aspect of the divine. Um, but when we, when we look at those divinities, they also had many other energies or traits that were feminine. They were life-giving, cyclical, um, drawing things in like you were talking about, um, internally moving, the associated thing with nighttime being a time of like quietness and pulling back. These are things that are associated with femininity, whereas masculinity, again, often associated with a god. You have Apollo. You have 
of course, I can only ever think of one god now that <laughs> I'm on the spot. But there's so many sun gods. And and these are consistent gods. These are consistent deities. There's also a, a energy of action connected with these male deities and getting things done and doing, whereas there is a passive energy with these feminine deities. And I think that we, since we see those consistencies globally, I think that there is a truth that there is something about these ideas that are intertwined with something. And I think it's not necessarily saying that all good women, because like fuck that term, like all good women like are feminine, all good men are masculine and you want to take on these traits. But I think it's more understanding that these are something that our ancestors have have gained and gleaned wisdom from and how can we continue to gain and glean wisdom from these ideas and also incorporating this into our newer understandings of gender around gender inclusivity and non-binary and things like that. Because they also had those understandings as well. Yeah. And to go a little bit more into what Lori was saying about like the, the drawing in, um, We've talked about this before, but Layla Martin sort of associates masculinity with radiant energy because sometimes it can be really, it can be very like triggering or just isolate, like, um, yeah, isolating for people to hear masculinity and femininity, especially if they're like queer and don't identify necessarily with one or the other. Um, but this idea of having magnetic energy where you're drawing people in as more of a feminine thing and radiant energy, energy moving outward, you taking up more space, being more of a masculine energy. And so she plays around with the words of radiant and magnetic, which I sort of dig just because it does take us out of our gender essentialism brains, which I think can be useful. Yeah. I also think it is useful as well, though, uh, to to understand that we all have moments of masculine, feminine, radiant, or, or magnetic energy, no matter how we identify. And I was thinking about this yesterday because I was doing my nails, and I was thinking about how there are masculine ways of doing your nails, and there are feminine ways of doing your nails. And just because we associate painting my nails, this beautiful like ballerina pink which I guess doesn't really look like that under the lighting but um like I can paint my nails in a masculine way pink or I can do it in a feminine way and when I think about action versus pleasure which is one of the other distinguishing distinguishing actions that I think of around masculinity and femininity I think of like I was in a show where I had to have my nails painted for the show and so it was like okay like right before like that day I had to go I had to get my nails done it was like on my to-do list it was an action item it was something I needed to do and I just did it every day before the show check masculine way of doing your nails (laughs) feminine way of doing your nails like I really just need to take care of myself right now so I'm just gonna like pause I'm gonna put on a really beautiful lotion I'm gonna paint my nails and like oh my goodness this color like makes me feel so good and like oh I just feel so beautiful about this Similarly, there are extremely feminine ways of playing sports and very masculine ways of playing sports tied into that as well. And so I think like when we put masculinity and femininity into our genders or like say like only like 
gay men are feminine and like lesbians are masculine or trans women are feminine and trans men are masculine and women, cis women are feminine and and things like that, then I think we're stepping into the same limiting structures that I would love to see us break out of because I could fall into like a very feminine woman, but I have very masculine, very, very masculine moments in my life. And those are important to me. And I think back to like, even as a small child, feeling like I wasn't feminine enough because of the fact that there were parts of me that were more masculine as we define them in our culture. And so specifically, like one of the things that I'm thinking of is I've always been that person that like stands up to authority. I have never respected authority very well. It's not something I do now. It's not something I did when I was six. Um, If I have a logical, rational reason for doing something differently, I will explain that to the person in charge and be like, this way that you're doing this does not make sense to me. Um, And that feels really masculine. And I've never been the person who's like, who feels super quiet or feels like I'm super contained and very much like whatever. And so it's been always really hard. I'm also not somebody who like takes a lot of time all of the time to like make sure my hair looks really good or put on makeup or like doing my nails. I've been a massage therapist for a decade. Like I can't, I couldn't do my nails while I was a massage therapist. Yes, make sure that they're like cut well and that sort of thing, but not painting them because nobody wants my nail polish paint flakes on their body while I'm massaging them. That's gross. So there's all these ways in which I've felt like I've had to like pull back from the traditional ways of being feminine and or just felt like I never really fit into them perfectly and living into that reality and being like that doesn't mean I'm not feminine has been a really big piece of my own sort of healing process of feeling feeling out what we were talking about before we started around really integrate them integrating the masculine and feminine aspects of ourselves so that we can fully be ourselves and be full humans. Yeah, and I think one of the problems with patriarchy and I think something that gets messed up within feminism is this idea of abandoning the feminine or seeing the feminine as weak or bad or wrong. And then the feminine becomes something that we can abuse, oppress, over-sexualize, and demean instead of letting the feminine be something that is full and liberated in the same way that like I talk about in my work like liberating the goddess and like allowing like the divinity of the feminine to flourish instead of having it seen as something that is limiting or weak and so it's it's like this this catch-22 because in contrast I was an extremely feminine girl I did I did stand up to authority a lot But at the same time, I was like, how many dresses can I wear and how many sparkles can I put on it? And that was was seen as like sweet and cute until a certain age. And then I was told that had to like get a cap on it because it would be seen as sexual or it would be seen as too big or too loud or was a problem to be too feminine because then that was immediately a sexual invitation. And to me, I find that very fascinating in hindsight, because I, I think when I also started becoming a feminist, I also felt that my femininity was maligned, where it's like makeup was suddenly terrible, curling my hair was terrible, 
fashion was suddenly terrible. And I was confused because it felt like those were full expressions of myself. I never saw those things as oppressive. In fact, I, I felt growing up that it was, that part of me was also still oppressed. And learning that embracing femininity and our masculine selves and seeing those as like full expressions of who we are, no matter if you're a man or a woman, again, no matter where you fall in your gender spectrum or in the gender spectrum, is sacred and good and part of what it means to be a a full human being. Exactly. And I think what you said about like being too, like taking up too much space and having to see your body as something that's dangerous or something that could make you not safe. And I, those two things like super, super resonated and are super important because like, yeah, my taking up space shouldn't be something that's seen as not okay. And I think a lot of women still like we struggle even is if you're feeling empowered or whatever to feel like you can take up as much space as you want to take up, whether that be with your expression of emotions in a relationship or what you decide to wear as you walk down the street. I mean, I've felt this a lot going from New York City to Boston is in New York, like whatever, I'm going to wear the like brightly colored dress that has that's backless and is short and like know that people might look, but ultimately I'm just going to get lost in the sea of other of millions of other people that are walking down the street and things that are equally interesting. Whereas in Boston, that's not really a thing. Like people are not dressed super no offense, Boston, are not dressed like super fashionably and certainly not in a way that it like wants to draw attention usually. They're like with the styles that are out there, but it's not like everyone's trying to be their own unique aspect of that. And so I have like a whole wardrobe of stuff that it's like, this doesn't work anymore because when I have worn it in Boston, I get hit on in ways that feel really disrespectful. And so it's a matter of actually like protecting myself from my femininity in order to be safe. Yes, 100%. And I think that that magnetism of femininity we have deemed as dangerous. And and so I think what a lot of women do in order to take up space, we end up immediately stepping into a masculine energy. 100%. And I think, well, actually, I shouldn't even say women. We all do it. We our default in our culture is to take up space, is to be masculine. And we see masculine energy as the preferred energy, the appropriate energy, the right way to be. Women are learning how to um, lower their voice register in order to be taken more seriously. Which ends up destroying our voices long term. (laughs) So we end up hurting ourselves injuring our voice, but also denying a piece of ourselves. So when when we're in a workspace and we really do just want to sit back and just like cry, which can, is a very magnetic energy because once you have someone leaning back, you even learned this in, also in acting school that like those two energies, like if a child cries and leans back and starts crying, like you lean towards it. But if a child is like screaming and external, you pull away. And like we, we try, so instead of just being sad, 
we revert to anger because anger is an external energy and an external force. Not bashing anger or tears in any way. They're both valid responses. But also the fact that we don't feel like we can move into sadness. That sadness is a difficult thing for us to embrace because it has a more internalized energy. So we don't want to cry at work. We can get angry at work. We can't cry at work. And how that limits our abilities to be vulnerable and how that limits our abilities to be really liberatory because sometimes what we all need is a little bit more vulnerability in order to be able to have justice. And along with that vulnerability is simply honesty and transparency about, especially in work environments, I'm just thinking about like the job I recently left and the number of times that I pushed back against management being like, this is unfair. You are doing something that's not okay. And what's worse is that you're not telling us why. Like you're treating, you're infantilizing us by not actually communicating what's happening. Because if you were to communicate to us, like we have to, you know, do this thing at this time. One of the things that they did that was atrocious was they closed down the spa right before Christmas. Anyone in the spa industry knows that Christmas time, you make a shit ton more money. So they closed us down. They let us know like the day after Thanksgiving that we were going to be closed for most of December. So people didn't, and we wouldn't get paid for that time. They weren't going to give us any sort of compensation. So you're telling people they can't, they, you just took away Christmas, basically. Now, if they had communicated to us why that was necessary, maybe we would have a different response. But if you just close down a place and say, sorry, y'all, you're SOL for the month of December, and I'm sorry that you have kids that want Christmas. You're going to have a lot of angry people who like have no recourse in which to be able to discuss with you what happened. And fortunately, I was in a position where I was high enough up and, and made enough money for them that I could push back against management and say, like, WTF, what is this shit? You need to at least apologize to us. Um, Anyway, but that's like because they were going at it this from the masculine perspective of like we are in power, we are in power. We don't share power with those below us. We just like go straight ahead. And you know, I'm even thinking of like Knights of the Round Table. What was so transformative about that is it's an equality thing, and women gather in circles traditionally. Like it's all about spreading the power amongst everyone so that we can find a, a real solution to what's necessary rather than a top-down solution, which ultimately like oppresses someone inevitably. Yes. And this also makes me think about toxic masculinity and the far less popular to discuss toxic femininity that is very real. And, and I think oftentimes what we somehow do a lot in the conversation is we see femininity as like this holy sacred thing and then like masculinity is just always toxic. And then what I'm also sometimes seeing is then cis straight men feel like they have to like embrace their feminine side and then a and then ever now it's almost like an abandonment of like good beautiful masculinity. And when I think of the knights of the round table, I also think of like sacred and good masculinity where it's like None of them are worried about the other person taking their power because they're confident in the place that they're sitting in. And um, that's what made me think of that in terms of 
because also there's toxic masculinity, which is hierarchical, which does require I'm in power, so you have to listen. You get what you get and you don't get upset, which is so destructive. And I know I used to say that when I taught preschool preschoolers, but it's not it's not a good sentence to say because it it limits it limits the ability of free expression because it holds on to the the position of hierarchy. And then you have toxic femininity, which is like, I immediately just think of Regina George, like this idea that, you know, you need to have like women picking at each other for not being pretty enough, for not being cute enough, for women competing for the man and pushing one another down and not being connected and supported to each, supportive of each other. So we have these two, these two like shadow sides of the energies as well that can be really destructive. Yeah, the other aspect about um, toxic femininity is also the manipulative qualities, right? So like there's not just like between women nitpicking and being, you know, Regina George to one another, but also this idea of I can get what I want from somebody else if I seduce them into it. And there's a manipulative quality. And as somebody who definitely exploited that in my 20s, um, it's it's real like that's something and it's also something that's like valued in a way it's seen as powerful to be able to do that um, which is questionable it's interesting to me because despite the fact that I think there's this Jezebel that is critiqued in a lot of Christian spaces I also feel who I can, who I feel like her caricature even though Jezebel in the Bible doesn't do any of these things she doesn't she literally doesn't do anything besides be a queen who kills priests which I'm not like pro killing priests either but like she doesn't really do anything like toxic in terms of femininity um she She's associated with toxic, I think we would put those labels of toxic femininity on her archetype, I guess. Um, I also see this encouraged so much in complementarianism is to use your sensuality to get what you want from your husband instead of using communication and the phrase, I need or I want. (laughs) And instead, and I think even in certain um, more like empowering for women spaces, it's still this idea of convince the man that th- your idea is theirs. Yes. In it. So even if you are communicating your need, it's like they need to know that it's their idea first. It's like, no, no, they, do, they can handle taking in somebody else's idea and choosing that as well. Yes. And if they can't, they're insecure in who they are and as a you person. Should run. <laughs> right. And I think this is also one of the reasons why we need to talk about toxic femininity so much more, because I think it just makes women women and and the fem and femininity in general like far less powerful because it immediately puts it in a it comes out of a place of weakness and it puts it in a position of the, of weakness to feel that we need to use it well first of all to use sexuality as a tool to get what you want is reducing the feminine to the sexual instead of 
the goddess, the moon, the creatrix, the divine mother, and all the energies that that embody in that. And it's also, it. Oh, what was the other thing I was going to say? It's also, well, it also assumes a power of the masculine over the feminine that you need to get something from the masculine in order to thrive. And I think that that also creates a problem because the feminine doesn't need the masculine any more than the masculine needs the feminine. So that's also the problem. Yeah. Part of what I'm thinking of or question, like the question that keeps arising is, okay, cool. So there's like these different ways of being masculine and of, of, of either being masculine and getting power or being sort of a toxic feminine and getting power. But what would be like the healthy feminine way of having power? Attracting. Being extremely magnetic and being extremely attracting. Not attractive. I'm not saying like looking like Giselle on the cover of a Chanel advertisement, even though she looked beautiful. Um, But being attracting things and trusting that things are coming your way and that like it's a leaning back and like letting and I think a masculine is a moving forward and and taking and doing and not taking in like a stealing but like moving forward and I think that can look so different in so many different ways but I guess I'm trying to think, I guess I'm thinking of it in like terms of like, the only thing I'm thinking about is marketing. Like, (laughs) like there's a conversation in marketing about like masculine ways of marketing and feminine ways of marketing. And like they talk about um, in marketing, they talk about the two ways you can, you can convince someone or you can attract someone. And um, I guess there's, maybe this is problematic because it's capitalistic, but still, I think it's very, I think it's useful. In, think about like a Coca-Cola commercial or a soda commercial where like somebody like you hear the pop and then like you drink and it's like everyone's thinking like, oof, I could really use a soda right now. That's, that is drawing everyone in to Coca-Cola and making them thinking about Coca-Cola. It's not manipulating you. It's not doing anything wrong. It's saying like, look at how fabulous this is. Don't you want to join? Whereas somebody coming up to you and being like, Coca-Cola, one dollar, two, two for a dollar fifty. That is like a masculine way. It's not necessarily like forcing you, but it is or manipulating you or abusing you. But it is also like being very clear that like this is available. Do you want it or not? I love that. As somebody who markets things, I love that. Um, as a human being who very much, like there's an aspect of the attracting energy that you have to have faith. You've got to have like a very, very deep trust that what you want will in fact like come toward you and that your And this gets a little bit into like a weird law of attraction thing. And I generally don't like law of attraction because I think it can be very problematic, especially when we're looking at the kinds of economic disparities that we see in our culture. (laughs) Um, But there's a way that 
like putting yourself in the space, like literally the place that you would need to be in in order to get the thing that you want or desire. And then additionally doing things that will draw it toward you feels very much more. Yeah. It feels very faith-based. Like there's a lot of just faith in the universe, faith in God, that things will be provided for you as you need them. Um, and that it it's not, you don't have to work so hard to get the things that you need. And But I do think that there is, there is this thing about when we sit back and trust that like things have, that things are okay, that we can, we can actually live a much more rich and fuller life um, when when the when we trust that the pieces are in place and that the pieces that we couldn't put in place will be gifted to us in a way of faith. But I also think this is where the masculine and feminine balancing within ourselves is required. And I learned so much about this when I was single because I first was introduced to masculine and feminine energies when I was married. And so I understood it at that time as like, I need to be super feminine and that will draw out his masculinity and then will be this perfect yin and yang forever and (laughs) yay gender essentialism (laughs) but when I was alone I then had this feeling that I needed to find my masculine counterpart and I I know that there's a lot of stuff even within like dating spaces outside of complementarianism and conservative spaces that talk about masculine and feminine energy um, and, and I'm not like necessarily fully critiquing it because I don't fully understand everything that they're arguing all the time. But I also think there is a reality of like owning my own masculine energy as a single person and like being my masculine counterpart that was really beautiful for me to be able to step into, I am my provider I am the person who does the masculine action things that I guess are the the action task oriented things, the things that don't give me pleasure but need to be done. Um, and I, this probably varies for a lot of people, but the immediate thing I think is paying my taxes. I hate paying taxes. Not that I like, I don't like, no one likes paying the bill. Like I get that like no one likes doing that part, but like I genuinely like, going like as a business owner like just even like the monthly managing my receipts it drives me crazy so um like but I I was like stepping into those roles um of like getting the oil checked getting the tires rotated like these are things that I think we associate with men and I'm not trying to say that they are meant like masculine because they're tires and cars and taxes I'm trying to say they're masculine because they're action-oriented Just like as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that some people might associate these things with men. Right. Darning your socks would be another option. You know, like it's like the idea of like, you know that you have, I, for example, recently tore a pair of leggings on like a random piece of furniture in my house. And I'm like, I need to fix that. Masculine. That action of being like, I need to fix the thing is. is Right. Whereas the feminine is. So when a masculinity is holding space for the feminine, it's saying you need your socks darned I'm going to darn your socks for you ironically I also taught myself how to darn socks around this time in my life as well I'm going to take care of the needs 
so that the feminine can thrive, so that pleasure and joy, so that that I can lean back. So like then me leaning back and having a whiskey in front of the fire, which we may associate also with masculinity, was a feminine moment for me to be able to just lean back because my masculine took care of everything. My masculine paid the bills. My masculine was doing all these things. And once I was able to create that balance for myself, then suddenly I felt like like Lizzo, like I'm my own soulmate. Like I got this and this this freeing energy that I also think men need to embrace as well or people who consider themselves masculine, like embrace your femininity. Accept that like smoking a cigar and having whiskey and like watching the sunset is a very feminine thing to do. And like celebrate that your masculine self created that for you for you. Like what a beautiful gift. Part of what's coming up for me is I'm thinking about my way of dealing with time. So in the Myers Briggs, I'm a very strong P, which is means I'm a perceiver of time versus a judger of time, which is the other option. And a judger of time is the sort of person that like wants to have like the to-do list that's very clearly delineated, like nine to nine thirty, I do this. Nine thirty to ten, I do this. Ten to ten to eleven thirty, I do whatever. And they actually follow that structure. Somebody who's more of a P is going to be like, time is sort of a thing that I have to deal with, but I've got like these three things I want to get done and I want to sort of like do them in a way that feels good to me and like do them at a, at the times that seems to function best. So I know in the afternoon I like to do this kind of work, so I'm going to do that in the afternoon. But if I if it bleeds into the evening, maybe that's what it's going to do. And there's just more fluidity in that. And as somebody who's a very strong perceiver of time, one of the things that's actually really important is giving myself the structure that's necessary so that I have the free time so that I can actually embrace that P aspect of myself, if that makes any sense, which is a little crazy. But I think about it as even within the construct of, um, or not the construct, but that study that was done of kids in a playground where if you didn't give them a boundary, if you didn't give them a, a fence they wouldn't play as far but if you gave them a fence they would play up to the fence and so similarly like that fence is a very masculine thing but it allows for the freedom and the chaos that's very feminine of all those kids playing out to the fence so similarly in my own life being able to really be strong with my boundaries of time actually allows me to have more freedom to play within those boundaries Yeah, and I'm thinking, like, this is one of the things that I think is such a gift about the construct of masculinity and femininity is how we can actually create it and do a way that, like, allows us to be fully formed people. Because then I also think about all the people who, when we abandon the construct, when we leave it behind, how difficult it then can be to be able to understand why certain aspects of ourselves are being oppressed and other aspects are not and why certain aspects are so difficult to embrace because femininity is still disparaged like we don't like the idea of the kids running wild in the playground so we think like the fence is good and the kids running wild is bad we don't think the kids running wild is good and that the fence is also good um Similarly, it's like we don't like that idea. Like we all went to school where there was a clear schedule of like you do math at this time and then you do science and it's very clear that like you spend 50 minutes in each of those classes. We don't like the idea that 
if there's a math assignment that feels really challenging to a student, maybe that student needs to spend an hour and a half on it instead of 50 minutes. And then they can move on to the science thing. Like, that's not how we do life. We think think that's not going to work because like trains have to run on time, which trains do have to run on time. Thank you, MBTA, for teaching me that that's a really important thing that I didn't, I have taken for granted. But we also need the free, like those trains need to run on time in order to give us the freedom to do the things that we need to do. Get around town. Or in the case of the child, like, like, yeah, there's, education is complicated. We'll stop there on the education analogy. But, well, I mean, as, <laughs> as, as somebody who is full believer in play, pedagogy, like and people like brains like break because it's, it's a very feminine form of education it's a it's a way of education that allows freedom and the masculine thinks it wants freedom but it it really it really operates within like law and order structure and rules and standing straight in line and the feminine is like dancing around naked and we need and there's fear of that. It's a huge fear that if we allow the people to dance around naked, all chaos is going to break out and then like everything's going to fall apart. We'll never get work done. We'll never feed people. But that's not going to happen. No, because eventually they're going to get tired and they're going to get hungry and they might get, also get cold. And so they're going to put their clothes back on. <laughs> And they're going to make a fire and they're going to make dinner for everybody. Yes. And there'll be a line. To, Healthy Feminine takes care of everyone. And there'll everyone. be a line for everyone to get their food. And <laughs> there'll be some type of masculinity in the order if we create space for the femininity. And I think that is what I think, like, for me, what feminism is so much is embracing the feminine again and being okay with it. And I think when we say, when we're against the construct, when we say, well, that's just a construct and like try to abandon it, what we end up actually, I think because we still live in a patriarchal society, we then just all default to the masculine as being more sacred or being better. And the feminine is left at the wayside, still being considered sexual, silly, chaotic, and wrong. I know we wanted to talk a little bit about how to integrate them, but I think we gave some really good examples already. I think so too. And if you're interested in like more information, like so much of what I do in the erotic convent is about integration. I'm sure Rachel talks a lot about that as well. So totally. It's something that I chat, chat about with my coaching. So clients. reach out to us because we probably both have different, but also similar ways of understanding that and different tools. So let us know if you want more information. Um, yeah. And I think going back to Chinese medicine, not that that's always where I draw from, but I think it's a really well-developed philosophy of it that we can very much like point to. Um, one of the really important aspects of traditional Chinese medicine is being balanced in those two energies. It's not about, oh, you have a female body, therefore you have to have all yin energy. That would be equally unhealthy. Um, you need to have equal amounts of both. And when we have illness or lack of wellness, it's because of an imbalance in our masculine and feminine energies, according to traditional Chinese medicine. And so like that's a, and I think I've experienced that almost emotionally. I think we can get into that where like if you feel like there's something that's like just not quite right 
a lot of times if you go back and think about it, it's either you're not relaxing back into being receptive or being magnetic or you're being too or you're not being radiant enough. You're not acting. You're not taking as enough action to make the things happen that need to happen. And it's figuring out that balance that leads to emotional well-being and physical well-being. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about queer theology, which is not entirely the same thing as queer liberation theology. So side note, queer liberation theology is about like how does Christian theology work towards the liberation of queer people? And queer theology is like the queeringness of of God or or of our understanding of the divine. And I think when we deli- like I think one of the beauties about learning that we can integrate the masculine and feminine into our own selves is the realization that like the masculine and feminine is integrated into Christ consciousness, into God, into the Trinitarian understanding that like that masculinity and femininity flows within all of us. Like it's a queerness. It's an understanding and embracing that like that super masculine dude embracing his femininity is a queerness. I'm not saying he is a member of the LGBTQ community, but it's like a queering of the self that I think would actually, if we embraced it more, would lead to so much more social liberation for members of the LGBTQ community because we wouldn't be so afraid of clear gender bending. Yep. Or like a loss of identity because if you have that that real solid understanding of who you are without being so attached to those labels, then you can very easily flow between them and figure out what what's necessary in this moment. How do I need to be in this moment in order for the most harmony to have, to be present? Yeah. I think that's everything. All right. Well, that's everything we have for you today. Thank you for joining us. As always, subscribe, like, share, and comment. You can follow us on Instagram at Sex Positive Christian Feminists. You can find Rachel at rachel.alba.coaching and me, Lori, at Lori Kimmerly. If you're interested in learning more about feminist theology and erotic spirituality, check out my programs, Lori's programs, and my blog at www.lauriekimmerly.com. And for Christian sex coaching, visit Rachel at www.sexwithspirit.com. We are the Sex Positive Christian Feminists, and we will see you next week for another conversation about sexuality, spirituality, and feminism. Bye.